Today at the SDGI Directors in Dialogue, Irish animation director Jason Tamamagi hosts a celebration of Irish animation. He is joined in conversation by Damien O'Connor, director of After You, Jack O'Shea and Paul Rutledge, directors of Eat the Danger, Adam Kavna, director of Corridge, and Tony Donoghue, director of Irish Folk Furniture. And she got so annoyed, so angry. The hotel fired him. And he died from a heart attack out of stress. And the hotel manager then cremated him and used him to hold the door open. It was right. a kind of revenge. Is there. And that, that was the original draft. That was about five years ago I wrote it. And I kept getting turned down for funding. Mm. So we kept rewriting it. And then it became apparent that it was just a build-up to the punchline, which was the urn. Yeah. And once that happened, then we thought, well, we could probably either never make it or, or just tell it as a verbal joke and save ourselves some time. <laughs> so we uh, went back to the who, what, when, where. And from doing that, when I went back to sort of the when, mm. I realised that rather than said in, in present time, then maybe there was something about doormen back, you know, 80 years ago yeah. that we didn't know about. And obviously the, the, the arrival of the revolving door mm. came in at that point. Yeah. So at that point, then we kind of rewrote it again. And it just sort of happened organically that, that, that um, it kind of made sense that, you know, it was a, it was a sweeter ending if yeah. he was a nicer guy. Than well, it's that. a very sweet film. And, Thanks. And Thanks. that's one of the things I really liked about it when I, when I first saw it. Um, it's quite touching, you know, and it's it doesn't um, it 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 doesn't shy away from the whole kind of death thing, and you know <laughs> what happens over time, and that there is change, and, and the world does change. Um, it it doesn't necessarily sugarcoat that, and yet presents it in you know with this very sweet look and with these this Thanks. this character that that you know even without voice you kind of feel for it throughout. He used to have a voice, which is right. <laughs> a change. There used to be narration that actually ran through the film. Mm. Um, and we basically went through several rewrites of the narration, and we re-recorded it twice with two different actresses. Right. Um, it was supposed to be narrated by the old woman in the film, and it wasn't working. Um, it just felt too literal. Right. Um, and people felt that it was very on the nose. It was, you know, show, don't tell. Yeah. Um, and actually, it was very near the end, when we almost had to deliver the film to Galway, that we decided... More out of frustration, we, I just thought we'll just take all the narration out and see. And from doing mm. that, we only had to edit a couple of scenes out and, and tweak a few bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, but I have to admit, it did make it a lot more moving without the narration. So, so it's, it was a very organic process. At mm. the beginning, you said you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't go two <laughs> D again. Yeah. Why not? Uh, I made I made three other films, frameworks films in two D, and I always found with two D, it, it's well a it's kind of strange in 2D I found it, it was a lot harder to get any emotion across in 2D and certainly any lip sync character lip sync in 2D I always found impossible to get real emotion it always reminded me I'm probably giving away my age but it, when you was growing up in the 70s you'd have these BBC worthy dramas about Greek tragedies mm-hmm. and you'd always have gods shouting on clifftops and stuff and it was animated and it always just to yeah. me looked ridiculous it, it never had the power it needed um, so that was one thing and then the other thing was just the sheer amount of work in 2D it was yeah. huge, and that if it's not right at the very start, then there's no fixing it at the end. Yeah. Um, with if I tried to make this in two D, we could not have made it as organic as it yeah. as it was. So it, we would have been locked down to the narration. We would have been locked down to the shots and the choices, and the film you would have seen tonight would have been fundamentally different. And yeah. I'd be sitting here now, probably trying to tell you how I would have changed it to make it like that if I could have. Right. Um, so when computers came along, obviously there's an awful lot of work now at the start. Mm. Um, of production but it's, I, to me I prefer getting it all out of the way then and then the production generally just seems to be quite quite easy and nice okay. plus with, with 3D you have sort of more 
technical know-how people who look yeah. after the headachey stuff. Right. Which is quite nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless that, you are. That one. can be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, let's let's move to the complete polar opposite uh, of that, which is the very <laughs> very two D. Uh, eat the danger, which there, it's there's an incredible amount of hand-drawn work in that short, and I think you had the shortest credit list. Well, cut out another four minutes as well. Really? Yeah. And yeah, like you had one frame of a, of a credit list. How much animation did you guys actually do for that film? That's Twelve every, minutes. Everything we did is there, pretty much. Right. We kind of just. Tried to do it right the first time. We didn't have much else going on, to be honest. It was <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> you must have been working though, like all the time on that for about a year, were you? Like, was it full yeah. solid? Because because I I, I came was from the days of two yeah. D, classical spent. animation, and and I know we how much drawing work there is. We had to do thesis as well, so that was a bit of a hassle. But right. uh, I think we started animating it in November, and probably finished. I don't know, probably April, and then like just a solid month coloring right. it all in. Had you got it completely locked down, or was it kind of a fluid? Uh, yeah, the storyboards were like really accurate, and so we just yeah, the storyboards the had keyframes in them, and we just sorry. animated then. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, we got because when we got the the, the kind of a lot of soundscape as well was uh, we kind of got to in terms of the rhythm of it. I mean, I know there's a lot of might make much sense, but um, like that kind of changed how long. Just things were held for and everything, you know. That would that would have changed stuff, but couldn't. I don't want to. Sorry, what were we talking? Yeah, there's like there's some bits it's just like holes, and you know. Yeah, I dragged it out pretty long. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's still a lot of work in it though. So in in terms of of uh, the concepts, like. It's kind of it's kind of out there, and um, what were yep. you going for? Like, what what what, where, what was the initial, you know, the germ of the idea? What it was, uh, it's meant to be. Like, we wanted to do. This sounds stupid now. It's around the same time as that. There's this Arctic Monkey song called "Don't Sit Down Cause Move Your Chair." We really like that song, and we thought basically the song is it's a really stupid idea, but they do it as a really heavy kind of you know, stomp and sort of rock song. Mm. And But if it, you gave that to, like, some sort of, like, novelty act, they they do that as, like, a gimmick song. Mm. You know what I mean? So we yeah. wanted to take a stupid idea, like, don't get your socks wet, but, but just might even... You probably can't even... That probably doesn't even work in it, but you just put a ton of effort into making it seem like it's trying to be, you know, like, all that work in it right. and do it really dark and make... Yeah. The character's really strange. Yeah. But that was, I think that was in there right there. That's where it came Did from. Did you say anything? Yeah, I don't. So, so kind of starting off with a with a kind of silly idea, but really going for the execution. Is yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, so. Yeah. That'd be it, yeah. 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 Well, you, you ended up getting, you, like, the, you ended up getting something very atmospheric out of that, where, you know. Yeah, I think, I, I think the. Uh, I think the sound kind of helps mm. a lot. We really weren't. Much. <laughs> really weren't going for any type of I don't even I can't even remember at the time it seems so long ago it was <laughs> like a year ago but uh, that's as that's as clear as I can put it I think okay Probably cool even much. well let, let's move on to another very different one which is uh, Adam's film which is so 
colourful and uh, like I was saying at the beginning, it's, it's almost like a, a children's picture book. So we went from this very dark, intense, like my mind, my eyeballs are bleeding to like, oh, you know, that's pretty. You know? <laughs> so what, where, what were you going for? That, exactly. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I spent a lot of time doing uh, pre-production, mm. so like colour boards and all that, like a lot of, yeah. lot of time just getting colour keys out. And yeah, the colours like are gorgeous. So, yeah, like it, it goes from like kind of a, a blue all the way into like this kind of deep magenta. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that was my main focus was design and, and colour. And yeah. And showing mood through both of those. Did you make, well obviously you did at some point, but was, was it a, a very active choice right at the start not to have voice and to have it just driven by the music? It was, but also again because of limitations. That, um, that was the reason it came to mind, because yeah. you know, that, that is one of the things that can betray a yeah. film sometimes. Is a lot, you know, probably know it's a lot of, especially Valley Firm anyway, a lot of films come out with no dialogue. And yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's you know, severe limitations. But I think it worked. I think it was, in, in a way, it kind of worked like yours, Damon, where you, you're just, you're focused on the visuals and the characters. And it's, um, in a way, you've almost removed a layer that the brain has to process so you can get deeper with the layers that are there, yeah. if you know what I mean. So Originally, I had a lot, a lot of sound effects and, like, atmospheric kind of sounds mm. and stuff, but I just, I cut them all back. Like, I really stripped them back to just kind of a fiddle. Yeah, Where did you get the music? Was it somebody you knew? Yeah, yeah, a friend of mine um, just plays the fiddle right. for, for fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's really good, so I got him in. I was very demanding that he had to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was very happy. Cool. And uh, when did you finish it? It's very recent. Uh, yeah, about a month ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, has, uh, it hasn't been shown at any festivals yet? No. You, you were telling me it just got into Galway. It just got into Galway today, yeah. Fantastic. So I'll be going down there to, to see that. Cool. Yeah, other than that, that's it. Yeah. So far, anyway. Yeah. And you made it in Flash? Yeah, it's all Flash. It's all Flash. And, uh, cool. yeah, a lot of After Effects done on as well afterwards to try to make it look less Flash. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Flash has the same kind of advantages of 3D in terms of being able to change stuff as you go on right up to the end. Yeah. Um, which is very, very handy. Like, I mean, that's, that's unlike the, the 2D end, because that is one of the things that you know, that one frame at a time thing in the 2D and now having to go back and change it's therapeutic you know. though, it's therapeutic therapeutic, yeah, it. I don't know, I, I remember I, I was saying that only a couple of weeks ago I remember because um, we found an old uh, Flash cartoon that I made and it was the first thing I made in Flash and I tell you, that, that changed my life this, this one frame at a time thing I was like, I can make a whole cartoon in an afternoon why would I do that? So I, I kind of appreciate that what what you could do with Flash is you can you, almost you can realize an idea quicker. Yeah. But I think that also, in a way, uh, has made those uh, more labor-intensive jobs almost more special. You know, if you look at something mm-hmm. like um, you know, like like your film, guys, or you know, even like with the Secret of Kells or whatever. Would it have been as impressive if it wasn't so hand drawn? You couldn't feel the effort in every frame, you know. So I think there's there's both. There's yeah. there's getting the ideas down and getting the, the, the you know in a way being able to express them through using the the help of the software. Yeah. And, uh, I like the uh, the instant gratification as well. Like well, there's, there's a lot to be said for so that. fast and it just looks it's there it's animated. <laughs> yeah. Instead of like drawing it and then coloring it and yeah. or scanning it and then coloring it and then oh there it is. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I can see the uh, the merit in doing it that way, all right. Yeah, but it wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's lovely work. 
Um, so then we showed a fear of flying. We don't have Connor here, but um, it's a pretty gorgeous short, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a really, really nice mm. short film. And it's very polished. Like, it's one of those ones you just look at and you go, mm, that's, you know, that, that's, it's so complete uh, and everything feels right. It, it's a shame he's not here to talk about it, but it's, it's an absolutely gorgeous film. Um, but we'll move on to you, Tony, and Irish Folk Furniture, which is a whole different thing. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And um, I was writing uh, the recent show that I, that I, I made. Um, and my script editor, who's actually in the UK, uh, was the first person to alert me to it. Have you seen this beautiful short Irish Folk Furniture? I'm like, Irish Folk Furniture, really? And she said, yes, yeah, yeah. You should check it out, and I checked it out. It's, it's captivating, absolutely captivating, and a completely different uh, type of film. And um, the you do what I would have probably doubted could be done, which is you bring those pieces of furniture to life. You know, and I, I love those sequences where we see them being painted towards the end. Um, but they're very beautiful. So you were saying it was a piece of propaganda. Yeah, because you never appreciate what's around you, whether yeah. it's your granny's stories or the things you grow up with. And we're mm. one of the few countries left in the world where our folk furniture is actually still in situ. Yes. I mean, I surveyed 50 farms 10 years ago, and there were 38 dressers in, this, in my parish. Mm. 38 dressers, 32 of them were in the sheds with tractor filters and cans of paint on them. Yeah. So had they not still had a functional use, they would be at the bottom of the bog hole. Because yeah. only six weeks ago, I pulled yet another dresser out of the local bog hole. Right. Because... We all grew up with it. Those of us who have country grannies or uncles or aunts or those of us who are from the countryside, we grew up with the stuff thinking it's everywhere. Yeah. But it's so idiosyncratically made mm -hmm. because we mm -hmm. were a poor people. We couldn't afford the cabinet makers they had in France and England. So local farmer craftspeople made, nailed our dresses together. Mm -hmm. And they're mostly painted because the wood is so terrible yeah. and the joints are so terrible. But they carry the personality of the family they lived with for like 150 years. Mm -hmm. so, so I made this... As a, to say, what have you got in your shed? Don't throw it away. Right. So there's two reasons to make it that and record your granny. Yes. Yeah. Because that first lady, she's 99 and she's still farming. Yeah. I mean, she's just a goddess to me, you know. Yeah. She, 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 and she loves her chickens as much as she loves her grandchildren. Yeah. You know, they, are, they've been, they were the bread and butter of the family for 70 years. Right. Because they were very small, a 14 acre farm. Yeah. And it's so easy to let that stuff slide by. It is. It is. And were you always as attached to the history, or is that, like, as you got older, is that something you kind of thought about more, or...? No, what happened was I, I went and... I worked, as, as I mentioned earlier, a biologist in England for seven years, then I lived in the States, and then back in England again. And I came home one day, and my mum's best friend had sold the family pub that had been in the family for 150 years, and it was one of those rural pubs... You actually see it in the, in the film. It's one of those pubs... There's very few of them left now. We actually walk through the owner's kitchen to go to the bathroom, and there's this big dresser laden with plates... Elsie had no kids herself so when she got to 80 she finally decided to pack in this old pub game and sold the pub and moved all the Victorian furniture to the new house left the bloody dresser in the pub and the new lads who bought it pegged it out in the shed and mm. it rotted after right. 150 years I thought God is this are we still at this stage we're throwing away you know these pieces of rural I mean in terms of quality material they're rubbish mm. but in terms of the context yeah. that they're still in situ with the families who own them, whatever. It was just too important. So I just became a one-man furniture salvation committee. Right. And I thought, I have to, have to 
a lot of films on these sort of subjects play ethnographic film festivals, so I thought, you know, I remembered back the museum I worked in. People think the Natural History Museum in London is a very academic museum, but all our displays were aimed at the intelligence and the attention span of a 12-year-old boy, because when people are standing, when there's noise, all these things, all their attention span drops. So I thought, okay, I'm actually trying to make a film about probably the most boring subject you can imagine, chairs. So I thought, I'll just have to go back to... And I look back at what Starovich, Fankmar, the Quay brothers, all these guys did. Mm. But I have to try and avoid the gothic of it yeah. turning into a whole series of tumbling cobwebs and dark horror, you know. Yeah, yeah. How hard was it to lug all that furniture around frame by frame? Uh, you actually see maybe less than 2% of what we... Because we actually... The problem with this sort of animation is once you do it, there's no going back. Because yeah. you're actually following... So we actually followed the full process for each of 16 pieces of furniture from being removed mm-hmm. through the restoration. But, you know, we bore the socks off people if we put more than just snippets in. Yeah. Yeah. But the first piece of furniture that comes down the lane that is such a rare piece of furniture is called a dowry chest, and it travels with the daughter of a wealthy farmer mm-hmm. to the next farm she's going to. And um, there's only about six really good examples, really good examples in Ireland. Yeah. So How old would those be? The dowry chest is probably from about 1880. So Craig Starkey, who did both model making and animation at Dunleary, mm. he made me two exact models of it. Right. So the one you see coming down is fully 3D, and shots where it goes across fields, it's in styrofoam only. Wow. Because there's no way I was going to animate yeah, yeah. the original piece and risk damaging it. Yeah. So there was a lot of that going on. I mean, I, I'm extremely economically unviable as a filmmaker. <laughs> I mean, just three years, we interviewed 50 farmers, yeah. and then whittled down maybe... Like that first lady, I interviewed her over four days, ten years ago, mm-hmm. and used, what, 45 seconds of her dialogue yeah, or something? Yeah. But she, she, she's just a sage, and what she says is so bang, you know. Yeah. She's amazing. So, yeah. so, so I mean, between the six, five narrators, six narrators, five narrators, you know, if you add up the ages, they brought like 400 years of history to the table. So it was up to me to screw it up, because <laughs> their stories were just like gold. Yeah, you know? yeah. How long did it take to make Start to Three years. Wow. Two problems. One, every time you find an old piece of furniture, it takes about six months to dry up before you can work on it. Right. And unlike England, our tradition is, and it's so funny because we've come full circle, that which is considered politically correct in France and Germany and America, you know, local craftspeople, we never got away from it because in my area, the local farmer who's also a carpenter repairs people's furniture. Yeah. You know, they didn't go through do environmental studies at UCD or something to come back to this awareness and recycling. They just did it because it made sense. Yeah. You know, I think that we never had a major industrial revolution in this country. Mm-hmm. Helped because all this stuff is still in situ and the small farm is still in situ. But, so the other problem was my main restorer, he's always cutting silage or looking after his calves. So I, get him, <laughs> I got him for maybe a week every six weeks to be, right. able to, to be free to work on something. You know? yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so, so I had to do lots of other projects in parallel. Sure. It was the only way. Was, you know, so, so Jill, those of you who've worked on our short films, Jill McGregor, the film board, I drove her absolutely mad because she needs delivery within six months. Yeah. So three years, she absolutely hated me. <laughs> yeah. That's the second I, time I, I did that to her. The second time I took spent three years on a short film. So, so she just dreads yeah, my applications. Jill wouldn't like that. Yeah. Jill wouldn't like that at all. Um, but it's, the results are there. It's a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous short. And well, I we think sh- we shot it on a $150 camera, a €150 Euro camera. The idea was... You know, it's all very well me making a film locally, but I mean, I, I can only be in X number of places. So the idea was to put in, in situ a methodology that people could repeat anywhere. Okay. So it was a 150 Nikon D70. Originally, I wanted to shoot a Nik- uh, Canon 5D or 7D, mm-hmm. and the 
picture quality would have been stunning, but we spent 150 euros on a Nikon D70 off eBay, mm. which means because it's animation, you can do a half second exposure yeah. as opposed to whatever. And we used a, a mini disc recorder, only natural light, a bicycle as the company transport, and a tractor sometimes to move the furniture, and a tripod. So the idea was to use only equipment that other people could use locally. Yeah. Because if you don't record the stories, then you can't do the animation afterwards or whatever you want yeah. to do with it. Yeah. You have to use whatever's around you. And is that, and is that how you did it then, or, or did you actually end up being in most of the places as, you, as they were being? No, well, the idea is that, it, the idea is to put in, to, you know, and this is something I, I've been speaking to um, various farming bodies, about putting in place a website, perhaps, mm. of simple ah, techniques. Okay, where people can, can yeah, do their ju- own. Yeah, just to carry on recording this stuff, because, yeah. you know, most of our Irish folk culture that's been recorded sits in an archive in UCD or various, mm-hmm. the Agriculture Museum down in Wexford. It goes in and it doesn't come out. Yeah. You know, you need people to know what their granny did and it be out in the public domain for other yeah. people to go. Well, that's, that's the thing that, that struck me when I first saw it because um, my, um, my granny, who she passed away this year, this year, and she lived, she had a little cottage in Donegal, a little thatched cottage. Yeah. And I have these memories of those dressers and those, those cups and, and the plates and the old fireplace. And then, and I used to go there during the summertime. Yeah. And then several years passed and I became a teenager and it wasn't cool to go up there and I didn't go up. And you know, it could have been about five or 10 years and I went back and the whole place had been redone and I had no idea what happened to any of that stuff. It was a whole different place. But it was probably bad. It was all gone. Or the boggle. Yeah, yeah. People are so terrified of bringing woodworm into the new house. Right. But yet the American equivalent, say a, a mid-19th century or late 19th century dresser, if it was American East Coast, mm. on the American market, 10000 to $20,000. Wow. Because their folk culture is so precious. There's so few items. And the same in Norway. Norway, you can go to a house in Norway and you'll actually find a pitchfork on the wall of a sitting room. Yeah. They have such a reverence for their folk culture. But because maybe because we're an island... Because we're so used to seeing it, we take it for granted. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's just been that's just been and and also our national heritage bodies have emphasised the Victorian or the medieval, you know, the certain periods in Irish history. I mean, like all the money they spent, you know, doing up that house in the Phoenix Park. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have saved twenty thousand dresses for that. You know, yes. I mean, you know, so 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 there has been there's been a presumption that the museums take care of this sort of thing. They don't. They take care of their own collections. Mm. Whereas you need people on a local level. And that's why it was important to put the furniture back into the houses it came from. Yeah. Because a lot of my local farmers, they won't even go in, into the museum in Nina. They feel that's where people were hung back in the 19th century. And they just don't feel right. Whereas yeah. they walk into the neighbor's house and see a restored dresser or a flower bin. They go, Jesus, I've got one of them. Yeah. Who did it? And they're terrified of antique restorers. Yeah. But if a local farmer restorer does it, Stalin yeah. Gleason, we can trust him. He's one of us. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and you have to work on that level. Fantastic. It's really good. How are we for time? Are we okay for time? Five minutes. Well, then, show, has anyone got any questions for any of the directors of any of the films that you have seen? Should we throw any questions? Oh, there's a question. Uh, can I just ask a question to Tony and Damien? Um, both films are very different, and they were both funded by the framework scheme. I just wondered how you both pitched your films. Like, did you have scripts? Like, Tony, for example, did you have a script, or was it just the idea? I pitched ten years ago, and they told me to go away. They just said, who's going to watch a film about furniture? So then, then I realized in frameworks I could repitch. So I repitched six different farm stories. So that's what I made called uh, a film for my parish, Six Farms. And 
at the interview for this frameworks, there was a French guy, and he just said, this can't work, so I just put on six farms. And he goes, okay, it can work. <laughs> and that's the problem, because, you know, if people haven't seen, or if people haven't seen Schwankmar, the Quay brothers, Simon Pummel, you know, if, they, if that's not part of the vocabulary, you know, it probably sounds a bit strange. Oh, it's got, it's got to be slapstick furniture running around the landscape, you know. So, so it was a tough pitch, but thank God the other one had done well on the festival circuit. But, you know, I've been, I've been slopping around these, rejigging these things for years for them to take an interest. Um, mine was similar. It was two years ago. I had two shorts that went in, and they were both shortlisted. And funnily enough, that same French guy said I couldn't make either of them, and they turned them both down. So the main objection they had was they didn't think I could do a life uh, of 60 years of a life in seven minutes. They said it would, it would be impossible. So for the second pitch, when I went back a year later, I had made an animatic, and I had it on my laptop. So when the same objection came up again, I basically hit play and said, well, here is the life in seven minutes. So once you shoot down their kind of objections, they're, they're pretty stuck. So they kind of have to, they have to give you the money. Um, plus the fact, like, like Tony says, if you, just, you can keep going back. So it gets embarrassing after a few years. Yeah. And I think they just, they just give you money to, to get rid of you. So. Well, I, I think that that's both of you kind of reacted very well to being told it can't be done, which is... You Anger. Know, we, we hear that so much. <laughs> you know, we really do. And I think that's, you know, pushing through that is often how we get something really good at the yeah, end. Yeah. Yeah. But, but is it a good example of how you have to not presume the people in front of you, they can't have the full vocabulary of all yes. film. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you know, without people like Steve Woods around, most of the students at Dunleary would never have had that vocabulary of that yeah. variety of ways the way people make films in Finland or Czech Republic or whatever. Yeah. And so there's vocabulary there that you cannot presume a panel of people, some of them who are bureaucrats on the film board or whatever, you can't presume they have the full language. Sure. So you have to pre-prepare, yeah. you know, yeah. It'd be nice as well if the people who did turn it down when the film was made that you could interview them and just sort of say, you know, <laughs> what do you think now? And, you know, just get a bit more feedback that way. That'd be lovely. Yes, in front of an audience. In front of an audience. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear about what you're all doing now and the future. Let's start with you guys. Yeah. Uh, we're making a music video for BP Fallon and the band. Mm. It's his new band. Cool. So we should have that done soon enough. Are you doing that in 2D animation? Yeah, yeah. kind of Hand pretty on. similar to Eats Danger there. Right. Cool. I'm, uh, I'm making a short film for Russian orphans. Um, I was actually just over there two weeks ago, but basically it's a, it's a, they wanted an advert initially, the charity, Trust Your Love, and after looking into it, I thought an advert won't, people just, they're so jaded with adverts at this stage for charity appeals or whatever that, um, given the backstories and, and whatever with the kids over there, that a, a short film would kind of do a better justice in terms of being shared and, you know, people putting it up on YouTube and Vimeo and, and sending it along for other people to raise awareness for the charity so Brambag Films, who I work for, um, they kind of backed it. So it's, it's turned into a four-minute short. So we're, we're buried in that at the moment because we need to have it finished for September. Fantastic. That's really good. 
Yeah. Um, I'm currently working in a studio called Magpie Six. I'm uh, making a kids show called Inspire. Um, and then I also just started writing my independent comic book. So we'll see how that goes. Just, just in my spare time because something I always want to get into. So where will we find that? Uh, online <laughs> in like three years. <laughs> online in three years. <laughs> I shall look out for it. I'll, I'll pencil, pencil it in my diary. <laughs> excellent. I know it's going to be a labour of love. So. Oh, that's good. That's, that's excellent. And you, Tony? I'm just be searching for money. Right. <laughs> um, three years ago, I pitched a project at Clermont-Ferrand. If you know Clermont-Ferrand, it's a really big European film festival. And each country chooses somebody to pitch a project. So I pitched one called Boo, Child's View of Folklife in Europe. And everybody loved it, but nobody's funded it yet. So... It's a Lego-like film where you basically explore a child's life on a far- in a farming community in each country, but from the inside out. No middle-aged, middle-class narrator talking over them. And it's a mixture of animation and live action. And so the idea is you don't know what country you're in. Like a friend of mine, Anita Killy, is an extremely successful Norwegian animator, but she's also a dairy farmer. <coughs> but if you saw footage of her children, you'd think it was Macedonia somewhere because they wear folk costumes on the farm. But then when you realise it's Norway, you go, well, that's an extremely affluent country. So I like the idea of, um, you know, messing with what people's expectations of different countries are. So, um, yeah, so I'm actually going to the Sheffield Documentary Film Festival tomorrow to pitch it because these sort of projects seem to be more readily funded through the documentary route, if you're interested in this, this sort of subjects. You seem to find greater interest from the documentary route, and they don't care whether it's animated, stop frame, whatever, as long, you know, so... so um, cause-driven material. Don't be afraid jumping out of animation into other funding categories. Great. Cool. Have we any other questions? No. Okay. Well, then we'll leave it there. I just want to thank all you guys for coming and for allowing us to screen your films. Um, like I said at the start, like I, I, I could have put any films into these programs and um, I, I put the call out on Twitter and to people I knew and peers and watched as many as possible and, and picked from ones I'd seen and ones that I've only just recently seen like yours, Adam, and, and I genuinely feel you guys represent the best of the best right now and I think those short films are absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for being here and for talking to these guys and thank you for you guys for showing up and watching these great films. I do hope you enjoyed them. So... Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SDGI Directors in Dialogue. We would like to thank our sponsors, the Irish Bill on Board and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. For more information on the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, visit www.sdgi.ie.